Hello and welcome back to another episode of Voices of Chandler, the podcast. I'm your host, Melina Suniga, and in today's episode, we're actually going to tap in with our artistic side yet again because we have segments from Cindy Surf over at the Chandler Center for the Arts, and we're also going to tap in with Peter Bug because we all know Chandler is full of art. So without further ado, here's Cindy Surf. Hi, this is Cindy Surf, and welcome to Backstage at the Center. In each episode, I'll give you a glimpse behind the curtain and on the other side of the stage door at Chandler Center for the Arts. On today's episode, I'm interviewing the fabulous Michael Kilgore. This phenomenal performer blew away the audience when he opened for India RE at the CCA in September 2019. His vocal range, his emotion, his power is impressive and inspiring. With Postmodern Jukebox to being on Broadway to being a nominee for a Grammy this year, which is pretty awesome. Michael is certainly one to watch in the music world. Join us for a conversation on his career, his influences, and where he's heading. Thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. Pretty excited to talk to you. Uh, ever since you opened for NDRE, I have been a massive fan. I wanted to ask you a little bit about how did you start on your musical career? Like, how did all of that happen? Well, I always sang, even when I was very, very small. I'm a, a pastor's kid, so I always sang in church growing up. And it never seemed like it was going to be something I want to do professionally until maybe in high school, um, because I was a band nerd in school, played tuba, and a choir teacher heard me singing and was like, why aren't you in the choir with me? So he went to the band teacher and asked if he could have me half the week. And um, I started doing choir and fell in love with it. And I thought I was going to be a choir teacher, specifically a middle school choir teacher. I went to Florida State University and the theater bug hit me. It bit me real good. And I started doing theater and I really realized that being on stage was what I truly wanted to do. And the rest is history. I think you could say I did a lot of theater in New York. I did some tours. So I've had a very, very blessed career. And this last piece is recording music. And thank goodness the people like it, <laughs> at least so far. And uh, it's been a real, a real blast to be able to do something that I love so much and to not just get the love of like my friends, but to have like a kind of critical success and, uh, and a success, you know, with, within the industry. So that's been a real blessing. The Grammy nomination really blew me away. It was incredible, but it didn't surprise me. Like, I think the words and the music that you've put together in the album are really special. It's pretty great. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of the projects that you've gotten to work on in your career, because they've been pretty vast and diverse. They've been so diverse, and I have really been able to do a lot of things that I would call hits. Like I did Book of Mormon, First National Tour. I'm on the Dear Evan Hansen, like I'm in the Dear Evan Hansen cast as an offstage voice. I did The Wiz Live on NBC, Jesus Christ Superstar Live on NBC. I performed in great venues like the Kennedy Center and 54 Below and Joe's Pub in New York. And most recently, I, I headlined the uh, Bryant Park in the center of New York City. And that was just spectacular. So, it, I mean, it has been nuts. I've worked with some of the best of the best. You know, like I get to say I worked with Queen Latifah and Mary J. Blige and John Legend. And, you know, then I opened for India Ari, you know. So it, it has been a, um, 
I'm I'm smiling from ear to ear as I'm saying this because I just I sometimes can't believe that this was actually things I did. I am really 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 blessed. What was it like to be on tour with India RE? That's hard to answer because it was incredible, but I feel like incredible is a pitiful word for what it really was. It was so good. She was so kind and so giving. In general, every night she would invite me on stage to end her show with her. After she sweat and sang and poured her soul out to everyone, she took a moment away and said, this is about community and I want you to be a part of this. I, I, I take that away from her and I hope that I can live up to her standard because now she is my mentor in a way when it comes to going on tour, you know, and I know that she was a support act for Stevie Wonder. So now I'm a part of that. I'm a part of that lineage, you know, Stevie to her and then to me. She has no problem being sensual as well as spiritual. That's beautiful to me. She's definitely someone special. That was really incredible for us to have her, but then have you open some incredible voices, especially among Black artists. Like those are people who have led the charge in so many ways. In a lot of ways, so many different ways. And they have changed people's perspective as to what it is to be, you know, a Black singer, a Black artist in, you know, pop culture. Queen Latifah is a pioneer of rap, but also a pioneer when it comes to television sitcoms. I think that, you know, living single is what friends never actually quite got to a chance to be. You know, it was, you know, we all know, and for all of you listening, I hope I don't break your heart, but living single was first and they did it best. And then friends came along and tried to take their stilo. And, you know, we don't play that. Um, <laughs> nevertheless, you know, I, I really do feel like I have been put in rooms with some of the most uh, incredible artists who have done nothing but uh, enrich the art that I do. It's incredible. You've worked on so many projects, but which project have you worked on that really changed you? That you really felt like it changed you or changed how you approached your art? Um, I did a show called Songs for a New World. And I think that may have changed me the most because it was an opportunity for me to be seen as a, as a completely 100% 360 degree human being. And that feeling is one that I, that I know if I don't feel that, then this isn't the right space for me. Or I know that it's time for me to change the expectation of those who either I'm working for or working around so that I can be seen as a completely fleshed out human. That happened before I was on tour with India. And I really do think that that's probably why I had such a, a blast because I was so comfortable in my own skin and presenting myself completely. And I felt it, I felt it immensely at Chandler, that audience, my God, I, you know, I think you saw me almost break down into tears because it just was so incredible to feel that feeling from an audience. It was a really incredible energy. Songs for a New World, talk about beautiful, beautiful music. Um, (laughs) I actually, I found it on accident and then I was like, oh my gosh, Michael's on here. So that's great. When you say, when you're saying like opportunity to be seen as 100% human, what do you mean? In some rooms in theater, I've been kind of a disembodied voice. You know, Mm -hmm. you come in, sing the high note, and then you go away. There's no storyline. There's no character arc. There's no humanity. It's just notes on a page. And, And it's great for some moments to just be about just beautiful singing. But I, I wanted more. I wanted to, um, be able to be a human on stage that joys, woes, an intellectual stake in the story. 
know, now in my own artistry, I think of myself as more than just somebody who sings songs. The truth of my life is expressed on that stage. It's important to me that I reach you in more ways than just like to, to tickle your fancy as a listener. But I want to challenge you. I want to excite you. I want to um, uplift you. And you know, I think that you have to be a, a whole person to do that. When people listen to your music, what do you hope that they'll walk away with? Well, first of all, I hope they'll walk away with a deeper sense of seeing the humanity in others. You know, my first album, I love saying my first album. My album is an invitation for people. I, I said, come closer to the music and get to know me better. And a lot of people took the invitation and they, they got closer and got to know me. And you know, that's what I'm hoping. I hope that people leave feeling like they've, they've gotten a, a closer look into who I am and they like what they see. Also, that it gives them a window into them, themselves, that they hear a bit of their own human experience in there. And in that, it lets people know that Black, white, queer, straight, it doesn't matter. We are all human beings living this human experience. So a little bit of grace and acknowledgement and care for one another is definitely needed. And also a moment to do some self-exploration is also needed. And I think that that those moments of self-exploration really allow us to be better humans to those around us. And to continue on Michael's point, verbatim, artists deserve situations and opportunities which they can truly pour their whole being into their art. But what motivates Michael? What influences him? Honestly, my biggest influence is maybe my Aunt Mel. And she's not a singer <laughs> at all. But um, the way she is in the world is really influential. But I think in terms of artistry, my biggest influence, it has to be a singer named Daryl Coley. Daryl Coley is a gospel artist who was huge in the 80s, 90s. He recently passed away. It is one of the best voices that ever sung on the planet. And the way he presented, it was he was so sure. He knew himself and, and what he had to say so well. And as much as his voice was incredible, what he had to say was as incredible, if more, not more incredible. That is always my challenge is to make sure that people aren't just lost in the melody, that they leave remembering what I meant and what I said. Black church experience is the absolute reason why I do what I do. It is lively, it's spiritual, it's sensual, it's emotional, it's passionate, it is raucous, it's raw. Growing up, I felt like I went to the best rock shows on the universe every Sunday. Those are my first experiences, but I think the first show outside of church that I ever saw was at like a state fair or a county fair and it was mc hammer and he was incredible that's awesome do you know what year that was in the 80s because i was really little probably six or seven so it was the 80s yeah where do you want to be in five years i want to be smack dab in the middle of of a, a happy moment a truly happy and fulfilled moment michael said happy moment and cindy said say less 
He will be performing at the Chandler Center for the Arts this Saturday, October 9th, along with Jameson Ross on their main stage. I want to give a huge shout out and thank you to Michael for being so genuine and being a part of this podcast. If you can't make it, but you would like to learn more about the CCA, you can always visit chandlercenter.org and find out about their upcoming shows. Also happening this weekend, you know Chandler's got a lot of art and Peter Bug is here to talk to us about an exhibit of a peculiar nature. No, really. Floating between familiar animals and unknown species, Rebecca Bloom Rothman's work in collaboration with Christy Pitts twists nature into unusual situations, to say the least. This is Chandler's Got Art. And I'm here today with Rebecca Bloom Rothman. The first question I have for you is uh, pretty basic, but how did you begin making artwork? That's a layered question, but the story goes that I was one of those little kids that just liked to draw all the time. And when I was five, I told my parents I was going to be an artist, and that just never changed. So very early age, just set my sights on it. And was it it always drawing? Was it, um, I mean, did you take art classes in school? Um, How did it, how did that work? Initially, it was drawing and painting. I took um, some art classes here and there at the Phoenix Art Museum. My mom was really interested in always taking us to museums and galleries. And then when I was about 15, I went to the Idlewild School of Music and the Arts for a summer program. And I really wanted to take a painting class. My father had a lot of experience with photography and thought I would enjoy that as well. And said, you can take a painting class if you also take a photography class. And I fell completely in love with photography in the darkroom. So between the ages of 15 and probably 40, um, I didn't make any drawings that I would have thought to show to anyone. I was always drawing, but I never thought about it as anything more than just a personal sketch. so, you know, and I've always done other things on the side, like embroidery and whatnot, but I, it, it wasn't anything that I thought of seriously. Your website describes you as a recovering photographer. Can you explain what that means a little bit more? Yeah, there, there's a really different way of thinking photographically. And for many, many years from that first photo class on, I saw things based in, um, in light, frankly, and I could see um, the world, I saw the world very differently. Um, I loved being in the darkroom, I loved the act of making, but I also would see photographs before I would take them or create them. It wasn't premeditated per se, but I could see what was there or what was possible. You know, I, I was a big cyclist for a long time and I had a bad bike accident with a head injury. And when you have a head injury, it was a a concussion with post-concussion syndrome. And so for about two months, I couldn't look at a screen, I couldn't read, and it changed how I saw things. I saw, I started to see color really intensely. Um, and at the same time, our daughter was really young and I was reading her these fabulous illustrated books. And instead of being excited and inspired by them, I started finding myself getting jealous, like, how come these people get to make these cool drawings? And so I think the concussion was a little bit of a gift because I I started seeing things differently, not just physically, but also like 
just my perception of myself changed where it was like, well, I can do that too. And I just started drawing intensely and let go of even trying to make photographs. And I think also with photography, I say recovering photographer, the addition of iPhones and the digital technology has made it so much more immediate. And I just couldn't find my way in that at all. I, I'm very process oriented. Shifting gears a little bit to this exhibition you have coming up at the gallery, what can people expect to see? Um, they can expect to see some <laughs> kind of crazy creatures and drawings that are both familiar and and not. I, I think in terms of characteristics and cartoon-like imagery, um, I'm a Sesame Street kid, so when I think about numbers and letters, I think about the personalities associated with those, and I think that translates into the work in the sense that the way we were taught to think about language and counting, there's something very, very funny and very charming about that, and at the same time, very um, sophisticated about that way of seeing and thinking. So these drawings have a little bit of that influence, and they are collages that are also taken from fashion magazines. Um, I found myself thinking a lot about how we how we present ourselves in the world, why we present ourselves in the world a certain way, particularly women, how we think about our roles. And I just wanted to have some fun with that. I like to walk that balance in the drawings too, where it's welcoming and inviting, but there's always a little bit of tension or a little edge that's like, ooh, is that what I think it is? I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But I think that tension is very much alive in the desert. So a lot of your pieces have significant negative space that gives them like a really clean contemporary feeling. Where do you think that that comes from? The big white sheet of paper is really scary because you have to fill it. And going back to my background in photography, you don't have to fill that white sheet of paper. Right? You can modify it based on what you see through a viewfinder. And so one of the exhilarating things to me is finding the perfect balance of how to deal with that negative space. Um, I will share that in the last year, I've been navigating, filling it more and more and more and kind of expanding into it. But in the work that I'll show in Chandler, there is a lot of open white space, more so than in the newer pieces I've been doing recently. A lot of people, a lot of artists, that's like, you know, Lisa Frank, more is more. But um, then like for like more Scandinavian stuff, like less is more and then a lot of times it's just, you know, finding that, that balance in between. Well, in the Scandinavian thing, here's something um, that I didn't realize had influenced a lot of these drawings. I was an exchange student in Sweden as a high school student. And, you know, you do something when you're 16 and you don't realize how that trickles into your life later. But that, that minimalist Scandinavian design plays large in my seeing and thinking. Peter mentions that her art is very kid-friendly but adults would also be interested in it as well. And Rebecca adds that children and adults would get different things out of them, but they are by no means meant to be youth-based artworks. Her day job is managing large-scale public art projects for the city of Tempe, while her personal artwork is small and intimate. How do they balance each other? I have total control in these small, intimate pieces. I have absolutely no control in these big, giant installations. And what I mean by that is 
I love the collaborative creative experience of public art. I like navigating those tricky problems that are always present to solve. I like working with artists to realize these things, but I don't necess I don't get to run the show in terms of where the rules and the boundaries are. That's determined by the city, the ordinances, all these other things. So for me, being on these small, finicky, intimate pieces, they're all what I want them to be. Nobody else gets to control that paper but me. So the exhibition is gonna be you and Christy Pitts together. How did you decide to work with her for this one? I've known Christy for a really long time um, and we have always admired each other's work but we had never worked together. And prior to the pandemic, we were asked if we would show together at the Start Gallery at Xavier Prep. We both figured, well, let's try it, why not? And <laughs> we showed up with our work and put it all out and stepped back and went, wow, I had no idea this would work so well together. And um, it was one of these like aha moments so afterwards, Christy said, you know, we gotta keep doing this. Like, where, where else should we send this? And she sort of took that and ran with it. So, and, and we think very similarly in terms of, you know, we talk about all kinds of weird biology and environmental stuff all the time. So I'm really looking forward to showing in Chandler. I'm really excited about this opportunity. And we are excited to have you. A Peculiar Nature artwork by Christy Pitts and Rebecca Bloom Rothman will be on display starting this Saturday, October 9th at the Vision Gallery with a virtual live reception via Instagram, also on Saturday, October 9th at 4 p.m. So tap in with them. The whole team over there does an amazing job at curating exhibits. You will not regret it. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by the City of Chandler. If you want to check out anything that was talked about in today's episode, you can visit voicesofchandler.org and tap in with us on social. Check back next week for a new episode of Voices of Chandler, the podcast. I'm sorry if I sound congested too. I'm sick. <laughs>